0: Today is April the 11th, 2018, and this is episode 2202 of the Survival Podcast, and we're going to talk today about libertarianism, anarchism, and resource conservation with our special guest today. Andrew Anderson. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. A little pop culture reference just for fun there, using the name Anderson. Anyway, Andrew is a lifelong musician and songwriter. Uh, he's a rookie first responder and a wildland firefighter. A uh, wannabe helicopter pilot, inching ever slowly toward a private rating and a former corrections officer. Father of two, a husband, and a halfway decent cook. He has a habit of commenting on politics when he ought to refrain from such activities. He's traveled all over the country more than a few times and had a lifetime love affair with hunting and fishing, but mostly hunting. He started his blog the Taking Game Journal in 2016, sharing stories and opinions and information. He's a libertarian, he, his libertarian-leaning philosophy has felt at odds at times with conservation programs he supports, which also led to some writing on the subject of libertarianism and conservation. He joins us to answer the question, Libertarianism and anarchism, are they compatible with wildlife and resource management? It'll be an interesting discussion. I think you'll he'll, he'll, he'll find our discussion interesting. and it, uh, Andrew is actually surprised what my positions are on some of these things. Anyway, before we get into that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today, Ridge Wallet. You can find them at ridgewallet.com. Here's what I love about Ridge Wallet. They made me into a wallet minimalist. I've always been the guy with the giant lump of a wallet on my right-ass cheek, screwing my posture up and what have you. And uh, when, when Ridge Wallet approached me about becoming a sponsor, I'm like, well, send me some, some samples and what have you. And I thought, you know, I think this will be great for some of my audience. I know some of you guys, and you're kind of that, that, that urban, high, you know, like, like the higher-end urban stuff and all, and they you, you, you like this. Uh, and it's got the, the theft deterrency and all, but I'm like, I don't think this will work for me. But you know what I did? I cleaned up my wallet took all my credit cards and my license, everything, stuck it in my wallet, put a little bit of cash in the clip, stuck it in my left front pocket, and proceeded to play the grab-ass game for like two to three months, where you're like, "Eh, where's my wallet? Oh, that's right, it's in the front pocket. And uh, now I don't think I'll ever go back. Uh, There's some things I used to carry in a wallet that don't anymore, but uh, I don't really miss it, I don't really need it, and I am now more secure and less likely that someone will steal all the information off all those little debit cards and stuff like that, those RFID chips in my wallet. And everywhere I go, when I take it out, people are like, oh, that's the Ridge Wallet. Like I had no idea what a great brand we had picked up. I didn't know they were that well-known, but I hope to make them more well-known among this audience. Check out Ridge Wallet today. And remember, they have other cool stuff like the iPhone cases and uh, the the everyday go bag and what have you. Check them out today, RidgeWallet.com. Next up today, Harvest Eating, the illustrious Chef Keith Snow will uh, teach you cooking from the standpoint of making cooking a life skill and focus on technique uh, over recipe and understanding how foods pair together so that you can figure out how to cook your own things. He's got some really great courses like the Paleo Beef course uh, and the Food Storage Feast course as well. He's got a great podcast, a great YouTube channel, a great blog, great seasonings, all kinds of cool stuff. You'll find all of that and more at HarvestEating.com. And remember, he's a member of our expert council, so send me your cooking questions for the expert council shows on Fridays, which today will be tomorrow. So before I bring Mr. Anderson on... I would like to uh have a, a a brief little announcement here for you guys about something that we don't talk about a lot. I don't usually talk about a lot of the things that I do in addition to TSP. I try to make TSP about TSP things, but one of the things you guys know that I am really passionate about is cooking. And uh, myself and David David Siegler, my buddy, we have started this cooking show called Bill Tong for Breakfast. And the first two episodes were good, but they sucked. They were good because they were good. They sucked because the audio was terrible. We've recently released episode three. We had professional audio consulting come in. I think if you if you come check out Bill Tong for Breakfast at BillTongForBreakfast.com and check out what we're doing over there, you'll, you'll, you'll get entertained by it. It is not your daddy's cooking show. It's not your brother's cooking show. It's not your mother's cooking show. It is a new type of cooking show with two guys basically making fun of each other the entire time and having a great time doing it. It's really cool, and uh, we just put out episode three a couple days ago, and then just today, I put out kind of a slideshow little video, only about four minutes long. I'm making uh, acorn squash, apple, and onion soup with, of course, bacon. Yeah, it's got to have bacon. It's pretty cool, and I think you guys would enjoy it if you came on over and checked it out, so do that for us. Come on over to BillTongForBreakfast.com Check us out. Subscribe to our YouTube channel or our uh, you, you know, Instagram or our Facebook group or what have you. And uh, again, if you're like, I don't know about cooking shows, I think you'll enjoy this one. I really do. I think we're on to something here, and uh, we got some really cool stuff going on. With that, I'd like to introduce our special guest today. Again, his name is Andrew Anderson. We're going to talk about libertarianism uh, anarchism and how there is or is not conflict with the concept of wildlife resource management in public lands. With that, Andrew Man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks
1: for having me, Jack.
0: Hey, Andrew, I've got you on today to talk about like some of my favorite stuff, like you know the the beautiful public lands that are out there, and then the way there's a you know kind of a, maybe of a conflict or at least a perceived conflict between the concepts of things like libertarianism and anarchism. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a great subject, and I don't think we've ever... I think I've talked about it a little here and there, but I don't think we've ever had somebody on and went in-depth into it, so I'm, I'm really interested in doing that. Before we get, you know, deep down into that subject, though, can you tell people who is Mr. Anderson? Uh, you know, and uh, take us back... I don't know, you're a junior or senior in high school and study hall and trying to figure out what to do with your life, and
1: what path leads you to where you are today? Um, well to be honest i have always really really had a passion for the outdoors um that has led me in a couple of different directions um i also have always had a passion for music and so going back to high school i was um i was actually a musician coming out of high school and i did that for about 10 years and then i had kids and i was like oh crap i need to i need to get a real job and be an adult and uh At that point, I ended up going to EMT school. I did a remote medical, through Remote Medical International, uh, got an EMT certification, kind of did that through them because it was a wilderness-based EMS program, and then after that, I worked for a little while as an EMT, did some work doing wildland firefighting, and in the last couple years or so, I've come to... The realization that w- where my real passion lies is in hunting, fishing, training, hunting dogs, that kind of thing. And I've also, as a musician, I was primarily a songwriter and I've got a passion for writing as well. So with Taking Game Journal, um, that was, that was kind of a natural outlet to, to start a blog, write about some issues that I'm passionate about, write about lands, write about hunting and fishing. So.
0: Very cool. And kind of leading off with our discussion here, mm-hmm. how, how do you see, let's say, conservation as a public good rather than a private good type of thing?
1: Um, well, you know, I, before I, before I jump off into that, first, let me, let me clarify a couple of things. Um, A, I've been a fan of your show for years. I've been listening to you since about the time my first daughter was born. And I your show has had a pretty major impact on my life and my family's life. And so I, I want you to know that any level where you and I may or may not disagree, I'm coming from a place of respect. Um, second. No worries, man. No worries at all. I'll, I'll I'll go on and say that I personally am not – an anarchist. I consider myself to be a libertarian, but the anarchist philosophy is, so, I, I just, I feel like there are some holes, and almost every time I end up debating things like public lands or, or other public issues, I I feel like we go down a lot of rabbit holes of possibilities and, and there aren't a lot of concrete solutions with how things could work in an anarchist society. And, and as a result of that, um, when you look at steps that we could take in a more anarchist or libertarian direction, steps that could be taken in that direction tend to get bogged down by, well, this isn't libertarian enough, or this isn't anarchist enough, or this isn't in the direction of freedom enough to... Be, have us be able to move forward at all. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, from my position, things like, you know, public lands, as oh, long as, as they're actual public lands, not, oh, this is public land, but you can't go there. Actual right. public access lands. Yeah. If, if we're going to get to what I see as the eventual uh, destiny of, of, of humankind as a, a stateless society, Then we have to take a journey. And let's say that we were sitting in Jacksonville, Florida, and we wanted to get to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I don't know why the hell we'd want to go there, but let's say we did. (laughs) Right? So we're gonna get our ass on ninety-five and we're gonna start heading north. And we're gonna go through Georgia and the Carolinas and a lot of other things before we get to Philadelphia. And we might even stay on ninety-five all the way up into New England and go to Canada, right? So we -hmm. gotta take that journey. And so when I look at like trying to move toward a stateless society. If you gave me a button and said, push this and dissolve the government tomorrow, I I know it will shock some people, but I wouldn't do it because whaling, teeth death, you know, burning streets. Like, you can't take something this complex and just strip it immediately. It has to be taken apart. So kind of at the very end of the journey, (laughs) we can worry about, like, how do we figure out how to, to make a place like Yellowstone preserved without government? That's like the last – of all the things government does, you know, hunting, fishing, recreation, that is the last place that I'm worried about. There's so many things between here and there. As a pragmatist, like, we got to start on this other stuff first. And then for me, you know, things like hunting licenses, fishing licenses, access fees, et cetera, we're already actually, to me, very close – to a stateless society, because we're already at a voluntary participation. So most of these things are funded by people that want to participate, paying for them. Some of that does come out of the general theft fund, but in general, things like game warrants to make sure the game is preserved, that's paid for with a license that I go, you know what? I want to be part of this, and I'll buy a license. And the truth is, if it was all private, I would probably, one, pay more, and, and two, still pay. So I'm not saying we can't actually get to where I want to be. I'm just saying I'm fine with taking the journey and the path and figuring out how to get there. And at each point along the way, I think we have to say, how do we do this without stealing? And if we're not genuinely stealing, let's put that in the back row. And then we can start, because we know there's some stuff we're flat stealing for. You know, we build roads with two different types of funds, general theft funds. And gas tax. Well, gas tax is basically
1: a usage fee. You don't use yeah. the road, you don't
0: pay the gas. So I don't think we're that far apart.
1: Yeah. No, it, and and I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I was I was a little bit nervous coming <laughs> on here.
0: You <laughs> stupid idiot! You know, no, uh, that's r- not how you well, get things done, right?
1: I, I mean, you, you get on social media and you have a debate with some people who are anarchists, and it's like, we got to get rid of everything now and the hell with... All of this, and and you know, there. I'm not going to sit here and say that there aren't issues and problems with public lands and public land access or game management. There there have been successes and there have been failures, but overall, I, I agree with you that it's a it, it's almost a voluntary system. I mean, even just going back to the history of it, when these Rules were put in place. They were suggested by groups like the Boone and Crockett Club. And the Boone and Crockett Club voluntarily limited themselves to taking larger animals. Absolutely. And, and that was a voluntary effort. Now, eventually, certain things became laws because of what those guys were doing. But they voluntarily limited themselves. Well, so,
0: that's absolutely true. and I think a little aside there, you know, one of the most vilified groups of people in the world by the anti-hunters, the anti-gunners, the animal mm-hmm. rights, is the trophy hunter. It is impossible, yep. just want to say this, because it just, it's a thing that twerks me, man. It is impossible for trophy hunters to cause the extinction of the species, because right. they voluntarily pass up multiple animals to take one, and if that means I don't take one this year, I don't take it. So the least impactful on animal populations or trophy hunters, so much so that some states are like, "You go, you guys, you gotta, you gotta shoot some does, man. You really do, right. and you gotta shoot yep. some spikes if you want those, right?" So like, the trophy hunter is in lockstep with some sort of conservation. I think most hunters and most fishermen are. Right. I mean, when I was and a kid, we had a limit on trout in pennsylvania eight trout. You know, mm-hmm. if it was twelve, man, no, it took twelve. But no matter what, you would have seen me coming home with eighty trout. Right. right? That's just not. It's not responsible.
1: No. And. You know, the uh I mean, kind of getting back to your original question, like, why is this a public good? The. And this is where I start to sound like less of a libertarian and more like a loon bat, but I, I'm going to try not to. Um, the truth is that we killed a lot of buffalo and we almost drove that species to extinction and that was as a result of some things that the free market was doing that was a market hunt that was the railroads um and and believe it or not native americans participated in that a lot like you know people sit here and use phrases like oh well we use every part of the buffalo well they not all of them did no, and,
0: no, but and, that is and that is a convoluted thing because it's not just that. So you know, how did we get the railroads? Right, theft money from the government. What was yep. what what was there enough market to drive the level of 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 killing that was done to actually make it profitable if it was left to the free market? No, why was it subsidized by government? Starve out the Native Americans. So that was yep. Yep. if you want that one, that to me is fascism. Right. That's a collusion between the state and, and the
1: industry. Sure. Sure. And 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 I wouldn't necessarily argue against that. But regardless, we as a species. Absolutely. Ended up driving that. We did drive the extinction event for the passenger pigeon. That's gone. Never coming back. Right. That is and, gone. But OK,
0: so now that's another one. Right. So everybody's is the
1: hunters. The hunters. Mm-hmm. Sure. The reason these things
0: were killed. In, in the numbers they were more than anything else was farmers. Because there were so yeah. damn many of them. A the guy would throw out a, you know corn and and they were well they were stupid. I mean if you look mm-hmm. at the general the general bird, it's not much different than the morning dove and there's no shortage of those. No but they no, were there isn't. dumb and they you know they just stuck together in groups. And I so I looked into this for this interview, right? Mm-hmm. And it turns out that when they look at the full like population swing in these birds that they were mm-hmm. actually in a very low population well prior to us starting to colonize North America.
1: Right. And then
0: we came here and we brought all our disease and pestilence with us and the native American population plummeted and then they mm-hmm. boomed and then we boomed and then we boomed on them and it's that's that's a great example of what we can do in the wrong direction, but it's also not as simple as people just came and shot them all. It, it, it's, right. And I think all of these things like that with the break of the extinction or the extinction of a species, none of it is people just killed them all. There's always... Habitat loss was huge with that too. We we took mm-hmm. tons of prairie and woodland and savannah and turned it into field. That was another right. reason that, that they got wiped out. So it, That actually makes your case though, because... It's not just about preventing people from shooting them. It's how do we make sure these animals have what they need.
1: And and unfortunately, I mean agriculture, it, and and again that, like, I don't want to I don't want to harp too much on the market elements, but the market for agriculture, because we decided, for whatever reason, during the Neolithic Revolution that we didn't want to be hunter gatherers anymore, right? Yeah. Um, the market drove the decisions to continue to kill these things off so that they could utilize these fields for other purposes. That, that was one of the things with the buffalo as well, where you had, you had ranchers, people who wanted to bring this non-native species over here and they wanted to graze that here because they could make money doing it, right? Um, so I, I wouldn't say that it's complete completely on the part of the market but it's definitely on the part of us as a species and if we want to be able to see some of these things dismantling some of these protections um in 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 my opinion right now would would be flawed that that not be a good plan um and on top of that I would I would also say that we, I don't think that people realize how close we were to losing antelope. Because when the buffalo numbers started going down, people started hunting antelope. When those numbers started going down, we started getting a lot closer to losing elk and mule deer. And and part of that, and, and
0: on that, we did lose elk. We the elk that are left are not the only elk that were here. The elk that were on the east coast looked a lot like. A like a Rocky Mountain elk crossed with a uh, spotted fallow deer, they had kind of spots yep. on their. That species is gone. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, we there. There are some subspecies of elk that are no longer with us as as a result. We pushed white tail over to the hunting.
0: brink. We, yep. we pushed white tail to the brink. Um, I mean, that, there's no doubt that that kind of middle 1800s through early 1900s period before conservation took effect that we. We almost wiped out a continent that was one of the most game rich and now again is one of the most game rich in the world
1: right yeah and and the thing is today I think that when people are looking at it today it's like oh well we've got I mean we have a problem with insurance companies because we've got too many deer right yeah and and e- even on top of that like every now and then you'll see you know you'll see on libertarian pages on Facebook a meme that has like different things that you have to ask government permission to do and they'll have fishing and they'll have a picture of a guy in a boat saying that, yeah, you got to ask permission from the government to fish in, in many cases, unfortunately the government is actually providing a service in that case because some of those fish that people are fishing for are being put there by the game agencies we don't have a lot of wild trout in some of our uh, waterways.
0: Now, to be fair on that, many places that we fish for trout today, there never were. Well, and, right? and that's. And we're not the native. The brown trout is not a native species, right? right. I don't right. think there is. Yeah, the rainbow is native, but not to a lot of places it is now. Um, right. The, the brook trout and the various forms of char are native, mm-hmm. but they're in a lot of places now they never were. Right. So Absolutely. I, I, mean, I think like so just so that the other side gets their their due here like mm-hmm. so one of the reasons like okay how did we end up hunting the buffalo to extinction well we had this massive swath of land that anybody could go anywhere on mm-hmm. there was it was it was public land it was yeah. it was considered public land and so who had the incentive to conserve well no we're all competing and it's like if, here's a, a weird analogy but when we first started doing our workshops we just set everything out like a buffet. Mm-hmm. And, and the last people through the line would get very little. And the first people through the line would end up throwing half their damn food away. Right. And the reason was everybody was hungry. The first guy takes a big load. The second guy takes, oh, my God, I'm going to be – and they get like comp- competitive. So we started mm-hmm. serving and rationing, right? Right. And when we did that, you found that we, it, there's always leftovers. Right. Yep. And if you don't think you got up, don't worry. Come back and get more. Almost nobody ever came yep. back and got any more, even though they like the food. And that's kind of the role government took in this management of animals. But I guess the the pure libertarian or the anarcho position would be if someone owned that land and therefore owned that game, then they have an incentive to conserve that. If I had a million acres and it was being grazed by buffalo, and that buffalo had financial value to me, whether it was for hunting, whether it was for pelts, whether it was for meat, just like the ranchers are going to go out and murder all his cows in one year, that landowner or that that group of people that band together as landowners are not going to do the same thing.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't want to say, how, how do I want to put this? Well,
0: I'll, I'll, let, me, let me say it for you. I sure. love that. I don't think yeah. humanity is to that point yet.
1: No like, no, like, not at all.
0: Anarchy is an evolution, in my view. Mm-hmm. We have to like, you, you have to have the most responsible, ethical society in the world to function as an anarchy. And the less yeah. ethical you are, the more tyranny you have. And so, people say that like taxes are the price we pay uh, to have a civilized society. And what I say is taxes are the price we pay for having failed to build a civilized society. Yeah. So the Native yeah. Americans didn't pay taxes,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? They didn't have a shortage of buffalo. No. Right? <laughs> they, you see what I'm they, saying, right?
1: They, they did yeah, no, absolutely. They did fight with each other over those buffalo quite a bit sure. sometimes though. Sure. And um but w- what I was gonna say is that like in in that idea that that you're presenting, like if, if you could get to your long game um by taking that journey. You mentioned earlier the cost of the hunting would would probably go up significantly, right? Yeah, absolutely. You'd either you'd either have to own a large swath of property that had that was that you were managing for game animals, or you'd have to pay for access to one. Or um, you'd have to
0: come up with some modern version of what in history has been called the commons, right? Right, and and you have to figure out some way to do that in a more tribal, more voluntarist world, and maybe we, we can stop beating that up, because we're not going to get sure. there today, yeah, and, and yeah, I, it's no. not a debate, like, I understand the complexity here. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm a hunter myself, and I know when I lived in Pennsylvania it was a hell of a lot easier to find a place to hunt than in Texas, because yeah. we have a lot more privately owned lands here.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Texas has something like 1% of yeah. your lands are public, and, and I actually, it, I mentioned I was a musician for about 10 years and my wife and I actually lived in Austin for a couple of those. And, um, I, I didn't hunt. I didn't have the money. You know, I, I was sitting there looking at it and it was like, well, yeah, I could afford the license and I could afford the tags and stuff, but I can't afford to pay for a hunting lease. And there was no public land near me to go. You, you mentioned Pennsylvania and, you know, part of what, initially got me thinking about all of these things was about a year, year and a half, maybe two years ago, you did an episode where you were talking a lot about Pennsylvania and growing up there and, yeah. and splitting your time between Pennsylvania and Florida. Um, and, you know, that episode, I'm, I'm 32 years old but you're when you were sitting there and talking about Pennsylvania I'm sitting there I'm like gosh that sounds a lot like how it was for me growing up here in Idaho now not exactly there were some differences because I grew up in Boise but the um the basic things of like being able to go and find somewhere to go and hunt and fish and especially as soon as I was able to drive I I was Cut loose. I was going turkey hunting, deer hunting, doing all kinds of things, and that kind of access is available in some parts of the country right now, and it's not available in other parts of the
0: country. So that's interesting, though. So what you try to find then is a balance between effectiveness and access. So right. what you what you can't say about Texas is that it's not got a lot better hunting than most other states. Sure. Right. The quality, the numbers, the opportunities—if you have the money. What it's lacking is the access, and so these other places have massive access, but not necessarily the greatest populations, uh, Mm -hmm. quality of animal, things like that. I guess the exception would be probably pronghorn antelope in the west. I mean, when you have success rates for hunters in the nineties percentiles, that's you know like there's a and that's a that's a success story. If you want to go on a, a North American big game hunt for the best bang for your buck in a state that you're not a resident of. Mm-hmm. Like Wyoming, Montana, et cetera, public lands antelope, it's – oh, yeah. if you can't pull that off, I suggest you get some bread balls and go fish for bluegills, right? Because that's <laughs>
1: – <laughs> Right. <laughs> so um, – I, I would also add elk in there, too. Not not necessarily from the success rate, but sure. you've got – like, I mean, here in Idaho, there's been there, – actually, a couple of guys from Texas, the Wilkes brothers, bought – a huge swath of land about an hour north of here. And it's, it's been a bit of an issue because for a long time that the company that owned it prior to that potlatch, who they got it from Boise Cascade. Um, they allowed access to the public. And then these guys came up and bought it primarily as hunting grounds. And then some of them, they're, they're, setting up for developments right now um but now access has been closed those guys have also bought lands in montana for the same reason so you you have people who are i mean very very wealthy individuals but they're coming up to idaho and montana and wyoming to buy land specifically to hunt on so i'm not saying that texas doesn't have good hunting in fact, I'm trying to get down there at some point this year to do some. But the uh, the truth is you got a lot of people coming to the coming to the Rocky Mountain regions for a reason.
0: And I guess though my thing would be if they bought that land and somebody privately owned it. You can't just go buy a piece of uh, the national parks or national forests. So it was no. already private land. Maybe the It was. And there's a lot of that too. That happened a lot in Pennsylvania where there was land that somebody owned. Never gave a damn about. There's a cold yep. company land or something like that, and then somebody bought it, and then okay, you can't have access to it anymore. And that's I, you know, I, I I wrestle with that because I grew up with that. Then you can't go mm-hmm. there, but then I also respect the right of the person who spent the money buy the land, and and you could bet they'll manage it well. If, they, if they're buying oh, for hunting, they're not gonna they're not gonna wipe it out. So again, we're back to that balance. So how do you think we can manage these lands voluntarily? And, and, you know, taking the NAP into consideration, not violate that non-aggression principle.
1: As far as managing the lands, that's where that's where things get pretty difficult. I, I think that um, in some ways with the parks system, you know, a lot of people complain they're going to Yellowstone and, gosh, they just jacked up the prices if you even want to drive through, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And it's like, well, that's – but it's a usage fee, right? Yeah um and they're not getting the tax the general fund tax dollars that they used to so perhaps that's the way to do it um they're increasingly for wilderness areas you're starting to see more situations where the forest service is saying if you're gonna go back here you can go back here but you're gonna have to pay a usage fee um but in places like in places like idaho it's a bit of a tough sell to say hey now instead of just going into the Payette National Forest you have to pay a fee or have a specific sticker on your vehicle or whatever mm-hmm. so that you can go there every year right yeah. um but to to me if you were going to to try to get away from the general fund tax system that would be the way to do it my concern with that is that it wouldn't actually fund those lands or the management of those lands in the end. Um, you look at the Forest Service and they've got I mean they they're, they were formed because of the big burn in the early 1900s, right? Their primary thing is fires. I mean, right. they've, they've got other missions, they've got other things, but their their primary job is putting out forest fires. And that gets expensive. Now, I, I mean, talking about successes and failures, that's also been somewhat of a failure because we, when we first started, we've been putting out fires for a 100 years.
0: Well, Andy, I mean, the other side of that is a big part of what causes those fires is dead timber, standing dead, down dead, and all of that material has value. Exactly. And, and the forest exactly. services have decided that if we leave it, leave it alone. Don't let anybody come in there. You know, like, you can't get yep. a permit to go in there and log out the stuff that needs to get taken out. Um, right. And then the whole thing burns down. But it's natural. And so that's an example. Like, to me, that is a, a perfect example of a failure. Yeah, And, and I, So this is what this makes me think of. We went to North Carolina, Asheville area for vacation last year. And two days in a row, we went to two different, I guess, park-like environments. One was an actual uh, park. It did have a usage fee. And, you know, there was these different things you could go look at. And there was a trail, and there were supposed to be signs to tell you to take different sides. And they didn't have any signs. The guys are trying to figure out what they can do about the signs. And I'm like, you know, you could write something and go stick it on a tree and, and, or, you know, make a, some signs. And, and you guys are all being paid to sit here. There's four mm-hmm. or five guys sitting around. And I, I swear to God this happened. These two guys, they probably should have been sent home for the day, but they're on government salary, so why? Mm-hmm. Take two leaf blowers and and attach them to a golf cart and drive the golf cart down the paved path to blow the leaves off the path in the freaking <laughs> woods. These are this is being paid for by usage fees and general funds. The next yeah. day we went to like a botanical <sighs> gardens that was completely privately owned, had uh-huh hundreds of miles of trail. We mm-hmm. paid ten bucks a piece to get in. It was meticulously managed. It was beautiful. It mm-hmm. was perfectly maintained. If you needed to ask somebody something, somebody that knew what the hell to do, asked. And you know, were there places like there's supposed to be a sign to say like this trail's over here or this river's over here. There were actually signs that you could read. So when mm-hmm. I when I looked at that, that was actually a pretty big case for private industry is doing it better sure you
1: yeah know? yeah no and and I wouldn't necessarily disagree I, I mean the government has all kinds of failures um, like I said the the fire thing and and just because I spent a little bit of time as a wildland firefighter um, that became pretty near to me but I I'll, I'll be honest with you some of the fires that we're putting out out way in back country it's a waste of resources and it's it's not actually that good for the environment to be going and putting some of those out um we should be letting some things burn and we sure. should be logging as well in Idaho because obviously it's a really big issue here um the you see billboards where people are saying if you don't want fires, we need to do logging. And it's obviously, I mean, there's a political drive to that, right? Sure, sure. But when I look at it, the problem is that people are, and and I mean, this is the problem with politics and debate and everything in general. Like like you like to say sometimes, like you have to look at the totality of the situation, right? And the fact is, yeah, we should be doing more logging. But we also should be doing the prescribed burns, and there's there's that balance there between if you go and clear cut an area, but you don't burn it, some of it, you're missing out on some of the ecological benefits that are there from those fires existing in the first place.
0: Well, and right? our, the native population used fire massively as a tool. Absolutely. And, so when, and then they died, right? So when we got well, here... The, the the settlers that came here from Europe had no idea why the ecosystem they were looking at, frankly, looked like a park. Yeah, the mm-hmm. squirrel could have got from the coast of the uh, the Atlantic to the Mississippi River without coming to the ground, but a mm-hmm. man could walk there. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, you've been in some forest thickets and all. You ain't going nowhere, right? Right. And you don't get rid right. of all those because game needs that and what have you. But there were these big open swaths, and you don't have. You know, tr- traditionally, that's not where your fires have their genesis, and fires that hit those tend to burn themselves out. So, like, there's there's a yep. balance there. And it, it, again, this makes me think of like, so we were in uh, uh, gee, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. What's the town up there uh, in Colorado? Uh, Estes oh. Park. Yeah. Estes Park, right? So we're in Estes Park, and we go on this jeep tour, and we go around the backside into the park, and there's probably 500 acres of dead standing pine. Mm -hmm. and they tell us that the beetles killed it. Okay, Mm -hmm. it's beautiful wood. It's all dead. Mm -hmm. Why don't you cut that down and sell it and use it to fund the restoration of this area? It's all dead. And since it's standing and since, you know, pines grow close, it's massively shaded. It's on Mm -hmm. the north side of a slope anyway. Nothing will grow there as long as those pines are there because you're not going to get enough light in. So since nothing will grow there, and I tell my wife this, and she's rolling her eyes. I'm like... There's going to be a time they're going to get a massive rain event here. This mm-hmm. is going to be mud flow right into the town. Oh, you think you over again. It was one year later. It was <laughs> one year later. They got flooding, and the mud flowed right through the streets of Estes Park. Yep. And it's like, who could have ever saw this coming? Well, I don't know. Right. Red Jacks from Texas, right? right? Like, So that's a perfect <laughs> example of, like, that doesn't even have to come out of public management or government control for that to happen. Right. It just has to be a better decision. But then I'm back to... And, again, I don't want to wholesale get rid of public management. I don't. Not yet. And Mm -hmm. I'll be dead before it's time, to be very clear. But that's an example. I guarantee you if a private landowner had that piece of land, they would have got a consultant in there that would have been smarter than the redneck from Texas who would have said, you know what? This makes beautiful flooring. It's dead anyway. Let's sell it off and restore this piece of land. Yeah. They might not have done it in the best way, but at least, you know, the town wouldn't have flowed with mud and – I, I would imagine those trees are pretty much lost. I imagine a lot of them came down when that mudflow right. happened. Right. So I. Oh yeah. It, it's it's hard. To, it, I I do like usage fees on this stuff because if you don't use it, you don't pay for it. As mm-hmm. long as you see, what bothers me is okay, they keep funding it with general funds, right, and usage fees, and then you tell the guy who you've already stolen from he can't go there. That's because when people say, well, I don't want to pay a usage fee. Well, if it if it was all private, you'd pay a fee. Right, and then there's no matter how much is that fee, how does that work? You know, I like some of like the national park things. They have like you pay one fee annually, and you have access to everything. Mm-hmm. That is a lot easier of a sell than you got to pay for this one, that one, this one, they use. But we have a mm-hmm. place down the road here. It's um, a couple thousand acres. It's a, a wildlife refuge, privately mm-hmm. managed, privately owned, funded through usage fees and charity. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Hundred dollars a year for a family membership. I'm totally willing to pay that. But 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 the reason I'm moving to do that – Do you get to hunt there? I do not get to hunt there. I can fish there. I do not get to hunt there. It is uh, not a place that they open hunting to. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have talked to people that are part like ghosts and stuff there, and they say if the population of deer ever gets to the point where they're a problem, they'll do a draw permit and, you know, like a lottery. And Mm -hmm. if you are an annual member, you get first crack at the lottery. If they ever, but then right now they just don't have the population that they think that it sure. makes sense for management. But you can yeah, fish yeah. there, you can put boats in there, and it's—I mean—the main attraction there is there's something like 130 miles of trail. Yeah. And you
1: know. No, and that's outstanding.
0: And, that's and For 100 bucks for a family,
1: yeah, that's great.
0: And a day usage fee, you know, like I think it's uh, 10 bucks a person, mm-hmm. which that's kind of high, but that's how they sell you on the—you know—the annual family membership. Right.
1: You yeah. Know, so
0: it can work it. i just think there's a balance right now between the
1: two yeah, yeah it, there's a there's an organization right now um, that has been purchasing every piece of land that they can get in basically like right smack dab in the middle of montana called the american prairie reserve and yeah uh, hunters initially when the, when these people started buying these Lands, hunters were a little bit skeptical of them because they have they have some specific regulations if you're going to hunt on this property. But the whole their whole idea and their whole goal is restoring the prairie system. And I I'm I haven't been there yet. I'm actually going to be taking a trip to South Dakota here in a few weeks to pick up a dog. And on my way back, I'm gonna take a little tent camping detour through this area and check it out. Um, And what I like about it is, yeah, it's a private organization. This isn't run by the government. This isn't, it's, it's, it's a private organization that's doing that. So, um, so it's, it's not that there aren't places or people out there forming groups that are doing good things, but I would, like like you were saying earlier i wouldn't want to see what we currently have in terms of public lands disappear tomorrow and unfortunately there i mean there are some people in congress there the raul labrador who now he's running for governor in idaho he recently presented a bill that would turn the lands over To the states, but then it would be managed by the governor and county commissioners instead of by the federal government.
0: Because I think that is a big problem that people don't realize about some of the western states. Yeah, there's all this public land, but it's all managed by the federal
1: government. right? And
0: And the states don't have control of it, and what people always say is, well, if you give it to the states, then they'll sell it. Which I think is kind of asinine, actually. I mean... um you know who's more accountable to the people of a state—the state government or the federal government? <laughs> Especially, let's say Idaho, right? Okay, so right. You, how much do you think Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George Bush, etc., gives a shit about Idaho? Not much. It, it's never going to swing an election, right? I don't care. Right. You know, and you got yeah. you got a couple yeah. senators and a few reps, and but and and they care, but what are they compared to the total? But the governor and the state legislature, like. If you want to fire a state rep, you just get out fifteen pissed off people and start knocking on doors, and that guy's toast. Yeah. Right? So you get sure. their attention, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you really can. So I think the state management is one step closer to my what I want.
1: So there, there are a couple. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree, but it would have to be done with some specific things in mind because you, you mentioned you, you already mentioned the selling element and. Mm-hmm. On the on the one hand, I see what you're saying. However, states don't have a good track record of holding on to their public lands, and a lot of the state public lands in Idaho end up getting turned into parks, and then they say you can't hunt here because it's a park. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there, there there are some there are some issues with that. The other thing and. You know, cause a, a lot of people have brought up the notion, like, we need to give control of these lands back to the people in these states. This, the people in those states never had control of those lands. In the constitutions of your western states, every single one of them renounced claim to the federally managed lands at the time of signing into statehood. Now, that doesn't mean that that couldn't be changed. There are ways to change that. But the point is that Idaho, and and this is kind of getting back to you. I mean, we're, we're going in all sorts of directions here, and I, I, I apologize about that. But kind of getting back to your question about um whether or not we can manage this through something like usage fees versus violating the NAP. Mm -hmm. The concern is Idaho, we don't, we don't have the population. We don't have the tax base, frankly, let alone even, I mean, those usage fees would be huge if we were going to take over management of the fires, Right. And and that's that's where
0: unless you stop putting out fires you shouldn't put out unless you started selling off the the logs that should be logged out as part of an overall Mm -hmm. state management program. And -hmm. then that would do a lot to fund it. It's like whenever I hear a problem, I'm just like, you know, like how much management does a big giant piece of woods really need? Mm-hmm. and and fires like the one thing you can bring up yeah you know cuz like when they had the government shut down and they shut down the public parks you're using more manpower to shut it down than you used to run it I mean, oh, Let's yeah. be honest Absolutely. this is bullshit right so like mm-hmm. that 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 is a self you know self solution problem to me i mean there is enough timber that can be sustainably managed in fact i think it would actually improve the overall ecosystem you can't go clear cutting mountainsides that's that's obvious but Right. I wouldn't think the people of Idaho would want that to happen.
1: No, I I don't think that they would either. Um, I'm not sure that some of the politicians. I mean, I yeah, I I don't trust our state politicians. So now we're trusting very much either. We're trusting the scum
0: in <laughs> Washington <laughs> over the scum and d'Alene, right? I don't even know it, the population, Boise, whatever, right? Uh, Right. So, you see what I'm saying? Like, so, now no, I other politicians.
1: To, to <laughs> an extent, to, to an extent, I, I would, what, what I would argue there, having met and worked alongside people with the U.S. Forest Service, um, it's, it's not in general just a suit in D.C. Making all of this, uh, all of the decisions about what's going on in Idaho, you've got a lot of people that are on the ground that are local to the state, living here and working here for the Forest Service. I'm not. I'm not saying that it's a t- complete misperception. I I, I understand so what you're saying. They
0: couldn't. that if you gave the lands back to the state to manage the lands,
1: they couldn't work for the state Forest Service.
0: Oh, they probably could.
1: I'm not right. saying they That's what I'm saying. Like, like. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm not saying that that's a terrible idea. Yeah. What I, what I guess primarily what I would say that is that in terms of some sort of a major transfer like that, yeah. which to Raul Labrador made his, he, he, he put that out there, but there are other people. Um, who is it? The representative from, uh, or is he a senator? I can't remember out of Utah who's on the lands committee. Um, I think he's the head of it. He, he just wants it managed better. Some of these things do need to be given state control. Some of these things do need to be changed. I mean, we, Gary Johnson brought up during his, campaign for president, um, Mr. Aleppo, right? Uh, he mentioned something about the BLM lands and you've got a lot of BLM land out there that's just gridlocked. Like, completely surrounded by private property. Nobody can gain access to it. Why are we supposedly managing that land? And, like, that stuff, in my opinion, absolutely should be transferred. I'd be completely okay with seeing some of those things either transferred or managed differently um, than they currently are. I'd be a little bit more hesitant to do a lands transfer of your national forests and wildlife areas, or sorry, not wildlife, wilderness areas.
0: Or if you did, you'd want some kind of a trust. like Yeah, th- like, it would... Like you could do this privately too. Like if I had a thousand acres and I wanted to make sure that it was always the way that it is, I can actually put it in perpetuity into mm-hmm. a trust that specifies yep. these are the things that can and cannot be done with it. Yep. and I think that has its advantages and disadvantages because I don't know what the world will be like a thousand years from now. Right. So like you know, having some means or mechanism for change, I think that's our founders are smart enough to understand that in, in the Constitution itself. Um, mm-hmm. But making that change. Significantly difficult is, is, you know, requiring larger amounts of consensus, I think makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. what I keep thinking is you're talking about this and you wonder why somebody hadn't done it is like a national sportsman society or something that specifically takes membership dues at various tiers of membership and buys ass of land all across the country. Sure. And then you have an access fee to all of it. Right? Well, you know, I mean, that, that would be interesting too, you know, um,
1: of course they to can, an extent to an extent that's kind of I mean that's not what the American Prairie Reserve's goal is yeah. but to an extent that's what they've done now some of their some of their hunting regulations for example I'm not a huge fan of it's like you can only bow hunt and they're only the only rifle hunt that's available at all is to youth hunters yeah. and they get like 10 days for rifle hunting and the rest of it's bow hunt so there's some stuff that I'm like eh, I don't really like that but there are other elements of it that I'm like God that's great and but what you have is you have groups like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation who they will go and they, a large percentage of the money that they raise goes directly to buying lands, but then they turn over the management to the Forest Service. Because mm. um, their whole goal is just like, hey, we want to do whatever we can to create more more access. access. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then let somebody um, else manage
0: it. It's interesting because I think there are a lot of things like that, but it'd be, you know. But, but I was getting to though is okay. So when I went to uh, Missouri and hunted deer two years ago, I had to pay mm-hmm. two hundred and fifty dollars for a non-resident license. Mm-hmm. So it so you know, let's say I had a, a a piece of land up in Missouri that I had access to through this national society that was being privately managed, privately run. They're doing all their own thing on it. That's where you start to get into this, you know, okay, then what am I giving the state of Missouri $250 for?
1: Right.
0: Right? And so that that's, that's another point where, you know, I guess it's a reduction in federalism to it. Actually, it's, it's an example of federalism because sure. the states that are inexpensive for the non-hunter would be more attractive to that type of land management service because they know full well that they're more likely to bring hunters in. Or, you know, it's not just got to be hunting, obviously. I mean... When I look at land that I, I gain access to because it's public, national, whatever, um, you know, maybe 5% of the time I'm on that land is for hunting because it's right. a seasonal thing. You, don't, you know, you don't you know, limits. Fishing, is a huge thing as well, and that's, you know, that's an example of a state like Texas where we don't have very good access for for hunters mm-hmm. except for waterfowl. You want to hunt mm-hmm. public land for waterfowl in Texas, it's easy. Um, sure. But you want to fish? Oh, my God. I mean, you Everywhere you look, there's a place that you can fish with good fishing. So it, it's, well, it's give and take,
1: I guess. And and there, there are some, I mean, years ago, I don't know if it's still the same here, but we, we used to have family out in Indiana. And years ago, I did a couple of road trips out there with my grandparents and my aunt and uncle. And we, uh, we did a lot of fishing out there. And the beautiful part about it was if you were on private land, you didn't have to have the fishing license.
0: Mm.
1: Um, I'm totally for that. I
0: completely agree with that.
1: The I I think that if we if you were going to take that, my and this is just my personal opinion, if you were going to take that and you were going to implement it toward hunting. Particularly big game hunting, I would almost say that I would still want people to either buy tags or or they would still have to adhere to whatever the limits
0: Mm -hmm.
1: of take are, right? But with the exception of that, I would be for that. Um,
0: I think there's a couple things there, right? So fishing. Uh, In fact, right now, the state of Texas, it is that way. If you have private land and you have a pond, Mm -hmm. you do not need a license to fish. Right. And even if you did, they, they, there's no legal way for the guy to come on the property and bother you anyway. Like, it's, you don't have a reason to be here. that If it's moving water, if it's a navigable waterway, right. well then it's a public, it doesn't matter if it runs straight through the middle of your land. It's at the Brazos River. Mm-hmm. Then it's a public waterway, so even the landowner needs a license to fish it. Yep. So game can move on and off your land. On the other side of this, we have places down in South Texas, like 25,000 acres, high mm-hmm. fenced. Yep. It's high fenced. They manage their own herds. Having yep. to have a license to hunt there, I don't bitch about it, but I don't, it doesn't sit well with me. That sure. landowner is paying a fortune to maintain that fence so they can right. manage their deer herd, which has no impact on the Texas deer herd as a whole. Right. And, frankly, they do a lot better than the state at managing it. However, you know, because there are fees, they do have a state biologist that gives them a lot of information that they use to manage their herd. So it it all, you know, but that role could be fulfilled by a private entity. I guarantee you they could afford somebody better, but they use what they have because that's the way the system is.
1: Well, and and some of those, so some of the places, like, the, some of the hunting ranches that are not, um see and you'll you'll love this but but game wardens for whatever reason have been able traditionally to violate the Fourth Amendment in ways that I it blows my mind but it's it's true' Before you
0: um, to stop before that there's some sure. truth to it. But most of what people say about it is absolutely mythical bullshit. Like, the Game Warden, without a warrant, could come in and open your freezer and check it for deer meat. That's, that, and I've, anybody says it's true, I defy you to show me it happening. I defy I've you. I've
1: heard, I've heard stories of it happening, and in Idaho, it, very clearly in the regulations, when talking about, like, possession limits for ducks and geese, hmm and and it, with waterfowl, I, I think it's more of a big deal with waterfowl than it is with um, big game. Mm-hmm. But it, that's because they're federally managed, right? Because they're migratory. Yep.
0: Um,
1: the thing that they say is you, you're not supposed to have, even if it's packaged, processed, and in your freezer, you are not supposed to have more than 14 ducks.
0: That's fine. But... Right? To physically enter your property, mm-hmm. open your freezer, and count them requires a warrant like any other law enforcement officer. And you can and say it- you've heard of it, but I heard one time that the guy had a dog that could sing. <laughs> bass, right? Sure. It's bullshit sure. because if it was true, if it was true, you would, especially today, like in 1985, this myth could survive. In mm-hmm. 2018, how fast do you think pictures embellished with a SWAT team that was never there? would be Mm -hmm. all over Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, etc., of this this Fourth Amendment violation. Because this does not happen. This is a lie. Now, coming onto your land, well, that's different, because now all I need is probable cause. That's a very low burden of proof, right? So the fact that I heard the discharge of weapons during a hunting season could be construed as probable cause to enter your property... Right. To check if you were hunting under proper laws, because the law does apply. That's probable cause. If I had a report from your neighbor that you were bringing 47 ducks out of your truck, then I could call that probable cause. But in that case, most people would sit, because it's so easy to get a warrant, simply get a warrant. Sure. Using that testimony as a grounds to get a warrant. We had a situation one time I picked up a roadkill. One of my Mm nosy neighbors assumed we posted deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and the warden walked right down into our basement, and I'm standing there with two bloody deer deer quarters in my hands, yeah. Literally caught red-handed. Yeah, but he had probable cause. Right. If he had just showed up and walked in there, I'm sorry, you do not have probable cause.
1: Yeah. No, and and the main reason that I was bringing that up is that it, at least in terms of hunting, my understanding is that in a lot of states, even if it's private ground game wardens are able to go onto that ground to check for hunting licenses. and But yeah, I, I get your point about private They, cost, they, they but can.
0: They absolutely have yeah. no doubt about that. But they must have a reason. They must have at least the belief that hunting is occurring. right? right. They can't just go, I wonder if somebody's hunting here, and go well, and go wandering I, onto private land. It doesn't work that way. And frankly, in South Texas, you, no matter what hat you're wearing, you go wandering onto private ground without some level of introduction, you
1: might get your ass shot. Right.
0: (laughs) And people do understand. And I know out west there's plenty of places like that too.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, Anyway, I can't, honestly, I can't remember where we were going with that. uh,
0: Let's let's look at like, so one of the things I think people have a big problem with, even minarchist libertarians, is if you collect taxes, fees, usage fees, whatever for something, Mm-hmm. And it said it's this is for X like you know the Red Cross saying we're collecting for Haiti. It should actually go to Haiti or you're taking my license fees, my whatever. Now mm-hmm. from my understanding, they actually do a pretty good job of this money that's earmarked for game management land management. How do they make yeah. sure that goes to what it's earmarked for?
1: So there are there are some laws in place that if if that money is used, from that pool for any other reason. So like for the federal government, let me take a couple of steps back here. The federal government years ago, going back to the originating Boone and Crockett days and everything, they passed the, I believe it's the Pittman Robertson Act. That is an excise fee on things like firearms, hunting equipment, backpacks, anything that could be construed as hunting equipment, you've got, to, you pay a little bit of extra money for those items and that goes into this fund. All of the state agencies out there know that they will get their piece of that money if And only if the money that they are collecting in license fees and tag fees and usage fees, all of that money has to be spent on those things. Otherwise, the federal government won't give that excess tax to the states. Um, Now, again... Yeah, I mean, th- like this is one of the things and you see a lot of hunters bring this up all the time where people will sit here and and like anti hunters will come in and they'll say something along the lines of, you know, you're you're destroying all this beautiful wildlife and you're killing these animals and it's and it's awful and whatever their opinion is. Um, the truth is that hunters have paid for the wildlife programs and the management programs for those wildlife to be recovered in the first place. So, and, and aside from some organizations, like most of your wildlife management programs throughout the nation with very few exceptions are funded exclusively through hunting and fishing licenses. Um, I completely agree. Because it's so, a fact.
0: That's, a, that's yeah. not a debatable thing. That's a fact.
1: Right. And so it it's kind of one of those things, like, going into that excess tax, like, I can absolutely see somebody being like, why in the hell do I have to pay this extra money when I want to just go buy a 9mm for concealed carry or whatever? Um, to an extent, I can understand that question and that argument, but... It is still, like, nobody is putting a gun to your head and telling you that you have to buy that gun, right? Like, so is it a violation of the NAP? Yeah. Maybe, it, it, a little? It, it is, but less so,
0: right? Because you're exactly. interfering with commerce between individuals, but yet I do have a choice. And I have I have choices to not pay that fee. I can go buy from a private seller.
1: And, and, and right? on top of that... If you want to go hunting and fishing, and you're just like, no, the hell with it, the hell with the government programs, the hell with the money that means that the elk are there in the first place, or that means that these steelhead are in this river for me to fish, you can, I mean, you can risk going out. Like, no, nobody is saying that you have, like, nobody is actually putting a gun to your head and telling you you have to go fishing, right, or that you have to buy that license. Even a game warden, if you don't have that license, he's, he's going to write you a ticket. And if you're a dick about it and, and you start mouthing off <laughs> and you take it into a direction where like in general, you're just going to get written a ticket that's probably going to be more than the cost of the fishing license in the first place, but I digress.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I understand what you're trying to say, and and to a degree it makes sense. I mean, in the end, like, okay, now you're saying, well, you don't have to, but if you don't, a man with a gun will make you, right? I mean, so you're you're still back to there. But again, I think that if you – this is one thing that anarchists have to realize. If you get your way, someone's going to fill that role, right? You're going to have – like, okay, let's go back to Native Americans, Right, you said they, yep. they would fight over things, and there was some territorial fights, and, all, and that was always during times of scarcity, right? During mm-hmm. time of abundance, was no. But like even with a, let's say a tribe had control of an area, and mm-hmm. they didn't have to. Even, a, a, a hunter didn't get a license, right? But right. if somebody was out there, like some some loon just started arrowing the hell out of buffalo and leaving them lay. Do you think nobody would have done anything? Right, it's where you have the, the you get one warning and then you just kind of go off a cliff, right? Yeah. So it's not like it's not like there's no use of force for the agreed upon better good in an anarchy. I mean, if you look at like I think that's part of the thing people don't know how to define anarchy. If you look at tribalism in North America, it was very much an anarchy, right? Like right? you didn't have to stay, you didn't have papers. If you wanted to leave, fine, but now you're leaving our protection, you're leaving our lands, but you're free to do so. No one would go after you and make you come back. You either have to right. go out into the Netherlands where no one is taking care of anything or find another group that will have you. But it was mm-hmm. very much like, that's why, you know, I think it was Custer. It was either Custer or one of our other generals that said, to never have there lived a people so free as these. Right. Because yeah. that was literally what there was no... No coercion to make somebody stay anywhere, and it it overall worked pretty well because, and what the reason it worked, and the reason that we destroy things today, is we've created artificial abundance. So we don't get if we take that away, we depend on that. We don't understand that I think as a a species anymore because we are divorced from that. That's why you go to the store and you get a you know, get a bundle of cilantro. And you take it to the little 16-year-old girl, and she has yep. to figure out what it is.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, you work here. You have one job. Bring shit up at the register. How long? I saw you here three weeks ago, so I know you're not brand new. I, you don't know what cilantro is? No. Right. Right, yeah? I mean, you may not know well, the code, but I expect you to think, that's a carrot. <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah. That's a carrot. You, you go stand there You're like, those are beans. They're green beans. And, they can tell if and- they're green. Asparagus. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a <laughs> asparagus. It's asparagus. It grows in the what, ground. Yeah, yeah, you know. right. So I mean, that's well, what I'm saying. Like, I think in some ways you're right because we're not ready for this.
1: No, and 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 that's I mean, at the be at the beginning of the conversation, I mean, we already established like there's your your analogy of the road is perfect. Like you you, if if you want to get to anarchy, there are a lot of steps and a lot of places that you have to go first, and the public game management, the public land management, a lot of those things in, in many ways, you know, I, I I am significantly more concerned with the threat of tyranny from the military industrial complex or the NSA yeah. or the CIA or any of these agencies. I'm significantly more concerned about that threat.
0: Infringement on the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, yeah. the Sixth Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Ninth right. Amendment, the Tenth Amendment. Yeah, but as it, I'm saying, like, like when you when you add all the totality up, like, you, you gotta you gotta you gotta chisel away at this thing, and yeah, even even roads, right? Like, so I, I think we could do a lot better than the current system of road management in the United States. But of all the things government does, that are the least harmful to people. Right. Roads and bridges, except when they collapse, are, are pretty low on the list. Like yeah. I'm more concerned about schools than roads.
1: And absolutely. Like the fact that
0: they're managing schools and conditioning and dumbing down our children yep. is way well, worse than I have to buy a tag to shoot it out.
1: And and that's being <laughs> I mean, way I, worse. Absolutely. And that's kind of where I was gonna go next is is that we today, right now, and, and in part because of the education system, we are so dumbed down that even, you even like mention the idea of anarchy or or even or you even mention the idea of libertarianism. And it's like to some people, it's like you've gone off of some sort of an actual deep end.
0: Yeah, yeah. and. Well, and it's you got to like, start with okay. So all anarchists are libertarians, but not all libertarians are anarchists. You got to right. start there. I did not understand what you want to have. Dumb people. Or, let me tell you the call my my wife got today because you can still get people calling about the ducks even though the ducks are gone. I want you to take this egg from me because it's going to hatch and I don't know how to take care of it. Okay. Well, tell me about this egg. She got the egg. I don't know where how she got it. She wrapped it in a moist towel, and she's had it in the oven on warm for ten days. <laughs> The well, warm temperature of an oven is about 150 degrees. She has cooked the egg by now. Yeah. But she said yeah. she candled it and the yolk looks bigger so she knows it's growing. Now, this person, right, is. If you thought that this person was the minority of people in the world today, that would be one thing. I think we're, we have a system cranking out people like this to be the majority.
1: Absolutely. Because if you Absolutely. tell this person something,
0: oh, okay, good. Right? I <laughs> mean,. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I I, I think we're, we agree on far more than we disagree on here. Um, Absolutely. So, if we got rid of programs that are in our existence, what would we need to replace them with, in your opinion? Uh, and I, you know, I think we both agree that it's not really feasible at this point in history to do all of it. Sure. But I think like so one of my one of my best friends, Ben Armani, he always says like, how can we do this without stealing? Right. And if we can't at least ask that question, then we can't move in that direction. So, like, what do you think we could do today? And what could we do eventually if we solve a lot of these other damn problems?
1: I, I think that ultimately, um, today, I think that the best thing that we could do moving in that direction would be usage fees and... As opposed to taking things out of the general fund. And, yeah, if you want to go and participate in this activity, there is this fee because otherwise we don't have the resources to manage these various things that we're currently managing. I I think that that would get us further away from the theft. Well,
0: Uh, so, like, here's what I think, then That actually would be great for the free market. Because one of the ways the government plays its tricks is to steal money from one source, move it over to another, and then borrow money to fill the hole so that they can do both things where no private entity could do that. So if you move to a usage fee model, especially if you could move to a model that, under certain circumstances, uh, license fees do not apply, or at least non-resident license fees do not apply. So if I go to Nebraska to hunt public grounds, paying a non-resident fee, I don't pay Nebraska's taxes, I understand. I'll do it. Yeah. But if I go yeah. to 25,000 acres that I paid 1000 bucks to hunt on, mm-hmm. why, why am I paying a non-resident fee? I'm not even going to your publicly managed land now. I'm going to a privately owned entity. If you do something to mitigate that, to make it more feasible, I, I, I would love to see the idea that we kind of floated, and you said this one company sort of doing it in one place, with this, you know, there's a society, and maybe and the best is there's multiple societies, because then you get competition, Absolutely. If I join XYZ uh, Hunters uh, Hunters and Fishers Association, there's umpteen million acres across the country that I have access to. And, of course, that doesn't mean that I can walk in with a machine gun and machine gun down a herd of animals. Right? right? So they're not going to let me do yeah. that. And it might be that if I want to hunt this particular area, there's very much like the states have a draw system or whatever, a lottery seniority, Mm -hmm. the longer you're a member, the higher your number. Oh, you drew one and you succeeded last year. Now you go to the bottom so someone else can have a chance at this spot. And if you had that, and then the states had to compete with that, legitimately Mm -hmm. compete with that, two things would happen. One, it would cost more for the states to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. And private industry would have to do it for less because they can. They can do it for less, but they won't. I don't mean less than what the state is. I mean they'd have to do it for less than what they're doing it. And the way that you – I see, the way I think you advance anarchism and libertarianism is you don't dismantle the state. There's just like a collective gasp of 20,000 anarchists in the audience that just went <gasps> – "No, right? No, but no – <laughs> hold on, wait, I'm getting there. You build the parallel system that doesn't use the state's resources. Right. And you compete with the state and you do it better and you say – now, there's an example. Why can't we have more of that? And the more we have of that, the less we need of this. And, and I mean, we need to do that everywhere. Like if everybody bitches about public schools. We'll build a private school the average person can afford. Right. And see, but there's the states. Not, not shenanigans again. Okay, then let's move public schools to a usage fee. Right. Now let's <laughs> reinvent Right. Because the problem I have. Okay, you want me to pay for my son's education? I can totally afford that. But mm-hmm. I pay five grand a year in property taxes. About three goes to schools. Yeah. Give me my three grand back. Yeah. Give me my three. No, we can't do that, right? So, like, I think the only way you can do that is to move to, you know, and then all of a sudden I don't have a problem with government anymore because the things that you can legitimately do better with government will will rise to the top and the ones you can't will fall to the bottom. And as soon as you do that, you actually don't have, in fact, you'd have an anarchy because any Mm -hmm. governance would be voluntary.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah, we're a long way off, man. <laughs> <You>
1: know, <laughs> no, that's that's okay.
0: I, I I appreciate you being with us today. Do um, you got any websites or anything you want to recommend? Um, I saw you had a, a, a link in your notes, takinggamejournal.com, but when I went there, there was nothing there.
1: So you know, when you went to Taking Game Journal, there was I nothing sure there.
0: I went there and there was nothing It was said it was being parked by WordPress.
1: That's Maybe. weird, because...
0: Hold on, gosh. I know what you did. Taking Game Journal's there.
1: Sort of. TakingGameJournal.com, yeah, that's there.
0: Oh, but you gave me a secondary link, and I guess it's your personal one. Taking Game... Oh, you messed that up.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, you know what happened? That one, that was the original one that I bought okay. through WordPress, Okay. and then WordPress actually didn't notify me when it was coming up for expiration and I ended up losing that. So I've just been sticking right. with Taking Game Journal because that's right. the name of it anyway. Okay, cool. Um, What's that all about then? Now that I'm actually seeing it. <laughs> yeah, so um, Taking Game Journal is, like I said earlier, it's, it's a blog uh, primarily devoted to talking about hunting and fishing and those kinds of things. I'm also getting ready to, like I mentioned dog training. I've got um, a couple of working dogs that I do a lot of duck and goose hunting with a little bit of playing game and I'm actually going to be starting here in the very near future, breeding those and, and, selling some of those dogs as well. Um, and yeah, then other, other websites. Uh, the, the only other thing I would say is, uh, just Andrew Anderson at band com, at bandcamp.com. So, andrewanderson.bandcamp.
0: Okay.
1: Um, That was my music page. Everything that I did over there is free um, because I'm not really doing it anymore. Um, But I still release some stuff from time to time, and we'll have some other things going on over there as well. Um, And, you know, the only only other thing that I I would – if I could leave you and – and your listeners with one thought. Because I was thinking about this earlier today. Last week I was out. Um, actually week before last. I was out fishing. With a good buddy of mine. Doing a little bit of fly fishing on the Payette River. Not very far from where I live. And I was thinking about this interview coming up. And the phrase that popped into my head. That I, th- I think that libertarians and, and liberty-minded folks will w- would probably keep with them is a quote from a guy named Aldo Leopold who wrote a book called Sand County Almanac, and he was pretty instrumental in a lot of the, the early conservation efforts in the early 1900s. And uh, he said, what avail are 40 freedoms without a blank spot on the map. And I think that, you know, without some of these places that are on, because that, you know, one of my biggest fears with us as a species, like the politics and everything aside, I don't want to see Idaho turn into California, whether it's privately managed in a way that we have access for, or publicly manage. I, I don't want to see everything turn into condos, you know. And I, I love wild places, and I think that a lot of people, a lot of people in the libertarian community, love wild places and love going and doing things in the outdoors. And uh, without places to do that, it's. We're going to lose education. Um, I think that's why you have so many people today, like you mentioned, who, you know, they couldn't tell you whether or not it's cilantro. There, there are so many things that we are just <laughs> not in touch with.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I said to Dorothy, I said, I wonder what it would be like if we just went out on the streets of Fort Worth and looked for people. And first question is, are you under 25? Right? Like, yes. Okay. Here, here. And hand up a giant. Don't tell them what it is. They probably mostly would know, but a big old Idaho potato. Just here. Yeah. Tell me three ways to cook that.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And don't just say French fries. Like, you got to tell me how to make a French fries. So but you don't have to give me a long <laughs> recipe. Just like, well, you can cut it up in pieces and throw it in oil to make French fries. You can peel it and boil it and mash it to make mashed potatoes. Or you can shred it up and fry it to make, uh, you know, hash browns. Like, right. how many people would, like, I don't know. I yeah. don't know what to do with this. So you would starve. With, with a mainstream uh, main, uh, source of carbohydrate in your hand. That's what you're right. telling me. You, you could, couldn't work out how to cook a potato or a chicken or whatever. And so, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I agree. I think some of the things I would say is, like, so, number one, California, it's not private industry that screwed up California. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's not. <laughs> it's government. So the state yeah. cannot be trusted. Uh, yeah. Then, then the, the other thing would be, though, to the anarchists out there, and even, like, the minarchist libertarians – going one degree over to the other side. Stop being dicks to people, yeah. right? Like, don't take the guy that's ninety percent to your position and be an asshole to him, right? Yeah. Because you you're not gonna bring them the rest of the way, and and the fact of the matter is, the little fictional drive from Miami to freaking um to, to Philadelphia, we're not even out of South Beach yet. We're currently right. being pushed toward Key West. Right, we want to go yep. to Philadelphia, the city of you know brotherly love and liberty, where the Liberty Bell is. Yep. You're not even in disagreement until you're in like past Virginia. Shut up, get in the car, go.
1: Yeah.
0: Stop being dicks to people. I mean, really, like there are people to be dicks to. I am good at it. I'll do it. But like when the guy's like, you know, <laughs> and I do get the anarchist point. It was the anarchist point. We would put a meme out, you know, and the doctors like cutting the cancer out and you know. go well, we could get all the cancer, but we should just leave a little bit of it, right? Sure, That's, sure. Uh, okay, valid. However, there are times when the surgeon looks at it and goes, I, I I, can't get all the cancer. Right. Because if I go into this spot and take that last piece, I'll kill you. So then yep. you say, you know what? Screw you then, man. Leave the rest of it. Right? So, like, yep. you got to find the common sense, you know, places that we cross over with each other or you're not going anywhere. We're we're heading for freaking Cuba if we're not careful.
1: Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. In, in a
0: boat surrounded like people with guns, you know, making yep. us go there and making us row our own boat. Like, that's where we're going to end up if we, if yeah. we can't unite at the, at least this – where do we agree, you know? And uh, that's the other thing I think, like, the, the greatest tool the anarchist has is to empower the parallel system. Because nothing convinces people like the parallel system that works. Sure. Right, you know? and So – Anyway, man, yeah. I appreciate you being I'm- with us. People should check out your site. Check out, now that I, I see there's two different URLs there, and then your your music site on Bandcamp. I actually listened to a bit of your music. It was pretty cool. And cool. uh, so people should check that out. And, and, and thanks for being with us today, man.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for
0: having me. I really appreciate it. So that was actually a fun conversation and less debate and more learning from each other, I think. And I think that we need to be doing more of that as we have discussions with people. And I meant what I said, you know, like you guys that are anarchists, you know, try not to be dicks to libertarians who are 90% where you want to be because um, I'll tell you, it took me a very long time to label myself an anarchist. And I'll tell you the primary thing that prevented me from labeling myself an anarchist. It wasn't true anarchist philosophy. It wasn't the inability to to answer the question but how would we? It was all of the anarchists that were dicks that made me think there was no way I could possibly be one of them. So just maybe we can learn from that. Anyway, I um, want to remind you guys if you want to help support this show there's a couple ways to do that. One of those is become an MSB member. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members. You get a bunch of discounts on a bunch of great stuff. All you got to do is sign up there. Comes out to about 18.3 cents an episode to do that. Most people that are members tell me by using the discounts, they make money on their membership every year. So that's what I tried to put together. Uh, Next, the other way you can help us is by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. If you want to help us, man, just go to tspaz.com. Do your online shopping there. Check out all the reviews that I've done there. And remember, if it's there and I've reviewed it and I've recommended it, I own it and I've used it for some time before I've recommended it. That's how I do things, guys. I do not recommend products to enrich myself. I recommend products because they have already enriched my life, and I know they'll, do, they'll be well-suited to you if it's what you're looking for and what you need. And you can always support us anytime you shop online just by going to tspaz.com first, T-S-P-A-Z dot com first. All right, so that brings us to our song of the day. And the song of the day today is a song that I guarantee you've heard this song. And I guarantee you probably have heard more than one version of this song. But when I say the title of the song, you may think of the wrong song. Because I did. Even though this is Gender Bender Week and it was supposed to be originally by a woman and then covered later by a man or a male vocalist group, um, when, I, when, I, when I heard the name of the song, I Only Want to Be With You, I thought, well, wait, did somebody do that before Hootie and the Blowfish? And was Hootie and the Blowfish the people that covered that song? Or did they do it, then somebody else did it, then another man, what, What's going on here? And of course the song I'm thinking of, I'll play a little bit of it, is this. I wanna
1: be with you.
0: Again, yeah, the problem is that song's not I only want to be with you, it's I only wanna. Be with you. No, the song that that, that John Adams selected for us today was originally made famous and done by an artist named Dusty Springfield, who was a member of the Springfields and uh, comes out of the UK. And and her version of the song sounds a little bit like this. I told you you've heard this song, either it or I covered. It's actually been covered a lot. Um, Back in the 80s, uh, Samantha Fox covered this song. If you're an 80s kid, you probably know who Samantha Fox is. But, you know, the Bay City Rollers did a version of this song in the 70s. Uh, And it's been covered by other artists. You can take a look at songfacts.com look it up. But uh, it was really interesting to me that this song was also covered by Volbeat. And I got to say, I'm not a huge fan of this version. And I'll tell you why. It's not Volbeat. It's not the new Erasers. It's it's the it's the balance. Maybe you'll like it. I don't know. Um, I don't hate it. I just like my problem is I think the music is too loud compared to the vocals for that to to work out. But you tell me what you think of it. Volbeat singing, "I only want to be with you."